Hey friends, welcome to the Next Step Leadership Podcast, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step. I'm Tracy Reynolds, and my partner for the Next Step journey is Chris Maxwell. Together we hope to inspire, assist, and create the confidence you need to take your next step in your personal growth, spiritual growth, vocation, or even your calling. Thanks for joining us. Well, come on, let's dive into this week's episode of Next Step Leadership. Welcome to Next Step Leadership Podcast. Uh, Chris Maxwell and Tracy Reynolds here to engage in conversations. Tracy, uh, it's, it's good to have these dialogues. I'm loving it, Chris. Uh, today we are super honored to have a dear friend, Tim Elmore, with us. Uh, I've, I'm thinking this morning, Tim, we've known each other for over two decades yeah, I'm not sure what what that says, but that's that means we're we're getting we're getting better and probably getting a little bit older. But I'm looking at you, and you don't look any older, Tim. It's amazing. <laughs> well, I think actually, as you as you age, your vision has gone shoddy. I think. <laughs> <laughs> probably both those things are true. That's good. Well, Tim Tim Elmore is the founder and the CEO of Growing Leaders, uh, an Atlanta-based nonprofit organization that I know quite well. I've been the, the beneficiary of not only the friendship, but all the resources that Tim and his team has produced over these, these many years for the express purpose of training up more and better leaders in the next generation. Um, so Tim, welcome to, grow, to our Next Steps podcast. Thanks, Tracy. Good to be with you and Chris. It's, great. Uh, it's kind of fun to reminisce a bit. I was just in the last minute just thinking of all the stuff we've done together and, you know, either somewhere else or on the Emanuel campus or whatever, it's been some really, really good times. Absolutely. Well, Tim, I would love it if you would reach back and just go back to how you were beginning in this whole, what was the whole idea of the driver behind uh, working with Next Generation? I know it started back in San Diego. I know it's, you know, but go back, I'll reach all the way back to that and catch us up uh, somewhat quickly as to you know, why you do what you do every day. Yeah, sure. Well, actually, it goes back before San Diego. So I was in Oklahoma uh, at ORU, uh, and I became a teacher in 1980 and a part-time youth pastor uh, in 1979. So I was working with young people, working with students, and it was at that time, even though I was still part of the next generation, I decided I want to give my life to the next generation. So uh, at the time, I mean, it was probably, in terms of generations, it was probably the late baby boomers that I was working with at that time in the late 70s, early 80s. And then the Xers came through, and then the millennials came through, and then you know Gen Z and now Alpha are, are the new kids on the block. So it's been fun to see the different generations. But every single year, I am reconvinced this is the right place to spend my life because young people are still moldable. They're still idealistic, and I mean that as a compliment. Um, I think they believe they can change the world, and often... When the world has changed, it, is, it involves some young, energetic uh, person that says, we're going to do this or die trying, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. So um, the real, uh, my love of the next generation started in 1979. I went on staff with John Maxwell in 1983, and that was in San Diego. And I would say by the mid-1980s, my love of students and my love of leadership kind of came together. And um, I began to think, I don't want to just shepherd these young people. There, there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to equip them to, to lead. Um, I saw what a differentiator leadership was. 
Um, I think leadership matters, and it matters disproportionately. Uh, it, 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 when you think like a leader, not, not anything less than a servant leader. This is not about power. It's about service. But um, you just make yourself mul- multiplicatively better. So um, by the 90s, that was the track I was on. Uh, in fact, when I was serving under John, I spent 40% of my week not teaching preaching. It was more developing leaders. And I think that's why we multiplied. So started Equip with John Maxwell in 1996, 97, moved to Atlanta, Georgia then, mm-hmm. uh, and growing leaders really started out of my work with them. This yeah. is something I don't say very often, but let me take a minute and share. The trigger for all of this was September 11th, 2001. We all remember that day. Well, some people listening might not remember. It might have been a history right. book for them. But uh, on September 11th, that huge terrorist attack happened that we all were riveted to our televisions watching. Well, what that did to many nonprofits around the country was make them rethink their focus. Um, And at Equip, Equip decided to drop their focus on the academic world and schools and the urban environment, the inner city work, and just focus on international. And while I love working internationally, I realized at that point how much students had my heart. And I remember sitting down with John Maxwell and twice just saying, this is wrong. We can't drop this from our mission. And John would smile and say, well, you should start something. And, and I think he thought it was a side hustle. It would be a side hustle I'd do, and I'd still yeah. you know, write and so forth. <laughs> but um, it became more than a side hustle, and John was right. the biggest fan. He was the first one to write a check and cheer me on, and he's been one of our biggest donors uh, ever yeah. since starting. So, And something you may or may not know, Tracy, we're merging now. So growing leaders and the and Maxwell leadership are, are coming together and, and merging again. So it's kind of like a really fun, big homecoming for, for me. So that's the long story short on that. Mm. Well, but that's a great story. I love hearing this. Well, Tim, I loved the opportunities we had to work together both at the college and then watching. Uh, most of our students went through several iterations of different leadership material that you had written. Uh, either in form of books or booklets. And then when you began Habitudes, that was just a game changer and a sticky way for students to to begin to understand leadership principles. Uh, So I still, I'm teaching a class starting tomorrow morning and we'll go through not one but two of the Habitudes modules uh, (laughs) together still. So uh, still walking through that. So I appreciate that and say thanks for for being a partner with with me uh, in ministry. Tracy, I got to tell you, I don't think there's anybody that teaches Habitudes better than Tracy Reynolds. You have such a a shepherd's heart, and yet you're a teacher, uh, which is an anti-shepherd, but (laughs) but you know what I mean. You're (laughs) able to equip, and yet your heart is so great. Um, I'm honored to have you teaching those images to your students. That's that's awesome. Well, I want to shift gears a bit. I, my wife and I, were listening to your new book, Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership: Embracing the Conflicting Demands of Today's Workplace. And I got to tell you. We had the best time just tootling down the road. Uh, We would listen for a while and have conversations about this. And it's around the idea of paradoxical leadership and the complexity of the time that we live in, Tim. So tell us a bit about why you wrote this book and 
uh, and the timeliness of this in, in the mess that we're coming out of with the pandemic, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the timeliness was indeed what we have just gone through the last couple of years. I think uh, the workplace was leading up to a very troublesome time. Uh, we've all heard about the Great Resignation. Inc. Magazine did an article on that and how just millions of Americans are leaving their jobs. Some of it rightfully so, but some of it just because they, they felt like they couldn't do it anymore. And then you had the great CEO exodus, which I talk about in the book. There were dozens and dozens of CEOs that left their leadership jobs in the first quarter of 2020. So um, those all were eyebrow raisers for me. But um, I actually think the real beginning or the genesis of this book was a green room conversation I had. I've shared this before, but I sat in the green room before a conference with 16 leaders, 16 CEOs, Mm -hmm. And I decided to turn that little community of leaders into a focus group. So I tossed out the question, do you all think that leading today is more difficult than it was leading when you first learned to lead? Maybe back in your 20s, let's say. And every single person in the room said, oh, definitely harder today. Mm. And I pushed back on that. I said, now that's odd. Wouldn't you think it'd be harder back when we didn't know what we were doing? You know, now we know something, you know, and we're back in a green room about to speak on it. But everybody stuck to their guns. They said, no, 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 no. It's the world is different now. It's more complex. Uh, It's people come in more empowered, more exposed to information. They got a smartphone. They can look up the dirt on anyone, even the leader leading them Uh, more entitled. Can I say that? We just feel entitled to stuff. So the leader that, that, that is employing team members just finds their job something probably more difficult than any one person can do. Uh, and, and so the paradoxes come in, Tracy and Chris, uh, in, in this count. Um, I believe, uh, based on nationwide surveys, uh, HBR did one. There was a group called Strategy And that did a survey that said people are expecting paradoxical traits in their leaders. You can't be black or white. You can't be red or blue. You can't be this or that. You need to be a little of both. And don't you believe we live in a polarized world? We live in an either-or world, and I just don't think you can be either-or in every category. Certain things are black and white, but... A lot of the world is not black and white. So this book is my attempt to talk about the emotional intelligence, the social and emotional intelligence leaders need to really uh, read their people before they lead their people. Mm. So good. I, I was listening to Andy Stanley today talking about the need to lead from the middle. Yeah, you know, as opposed yeah. to the because you just can't uh, well you can't effectively lead any kind of movement without embracing and it's it's interesting these are not problems to be solved but yeah. tensions that we just have to live yeah. in, in yeah. management of well let's dive in a couple of those I I love the first one is great leaders balance confidence and humility mm-hmm. unpack yep. that a bit Tim well uh, this is one of my favorites and that's why I put it first. Tracy, you noticed in the book uh, with your wife that um, I I provide a case study for each one of these paradoxes. So we have a real live person that's able to show us what this looks like. I found that very often you have one or the other, a confident leader. In fact, sometimes you look at him and you go, wow, confident, maybe overconfident. Maybe you don't know that much, Bob, you know. (laughs) Uh, But then sometimes you see a humble leader, which is very attractive, but you go, Gosh, you're so humble. I don't know if you have enough ambition to get to the goal, you know? 
And I think confidence and humility are this tension you talked about that you've got to balance. So my case study on that one, just briefly, was Bob Iger, who recently just resigned as the chairman at, at Disney. Bob was the CEO, and Bob had never led a company like Disney uh, that sold plush toys and theme park tickets and, you know, you name it. They sold it, you know, animated movies. So when Bob took over, he was asking questions of the team members he was leading. You know, I mean, how do, can you tell me what we're doing here? You know, and, and yet he knew at the same time, he, while he could not pretend to know something he didn't, he knew that couldn't stop him from leading. So when it was time to pull the trigger and make a decision, he had to have the courage and the backbone to say, this is where we're going to go. And he said that, though, that combo was exactly what his people needed. Don't be overconfident. Don't be over humble. So here's how I close this explanation for a listener that may have no idea what I'm talking about. I think our confidence makes our leadership believable. People need a confident leader. Right. But our humility makes our confidence believable. When I show that I've got a little humility, it shows that I see the big picture and I know I can't do all of this myself. Mm -hmm. That gives a person a good sense of, okay, he's in the real world. She's in the real world. I can follow along and and help them reach this goal. It gets to the whole idea of the self-awareness of knowing what I can do effectively and also what I can't Mm -hmm. can't do. Embracing both those ends, right? It's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And so a good example from Bob Iger's life was... Bob followed a CEO, Michael Eisner, that was not able to do what he did because it was all confidence. In fact, he got fired from the, by the board for being cocky and arrogant and, and blind mm. to his own flaws. So I love this story. Michael Eisner had been in dialogue with Steve Jobs to purchase Pixar. And, and, and you know, that did happen, but it happened under Bob Iger, not Michael Eisner. These two guys, you can imagine, was two gigantic egos meeting at the table and butting heads. And they'd always walk away with no deal. Bob takes over, waits for some time to pass, and waits for the dust to settle. And then he contacts Steve Jobs. He says, Steve, Bob Iger, I don't know if we've ever met, but I've I've just been appointed CEO of Disney. He said, I know you and Michael were talking about coming together. And he said, this may sound like a crazy idea because I know the two of you weren't able to make this work. But I just can't help but think we might be better together. And Steve Jobs paused for a moment and said, that's not a crazy idea. And it was the winsomeness of the humility of Bob. Because Steve already knew. He's got a big operation over there. Disney knows yeah. a few things. <laughs> but that they, they bonded, not just as colleagues, but as friends. And, and Bob Iger was one of the few people that was at Steve Jobs' funeral. And there was only a handful. Mm. And he was there because of this wonderfully confident, humble leader. Uh, for your listeners, I would just say, if you're young and start your career out, both of these are going to be so necessary. Your people will need you to be confident, and they will need you to be humble. Mm. That's so strong. I love the examples you're giving. And uh, what are some, from your perspective, we'll jump on to some more of the other chapters, but I think this is so vital for today's leaders. Yeah. Yeah. For, for the younger generation that we're talking to, the, the, yeah. the, the three of us are spending so much time with, many of them are not confident, yeah. but they sort yeah. of fake it. Yes. Honestly, yeah. they, they, they try to pe- pretend to be like that, 
that star that they just saw on stage. Yeah. yeah. And we need, you know, what I call in my book, equilibrium. And you're you're writing that. I love what you're saying here because we need this. We need that balance of that courage and confidence to do what God is calling us to do. But let's do it like Jesus did it yeah. <laughs> instead yeah. of that, that, that model on stage. Yeah, it's so true. In fact, your audience will appreciate this. Um, I think when we look in the Gospels, Jesus' life emulates these. He was confident and humble. He even said, I'm humble. You know, <laughs> that's just, yeah. So, I mean, I, I look at the paradoxical leadership. He, he sees this woman one day that's caught in the act of adultery. Bad day for her. And remember, he says that famous line, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Everybody walks away. He looks down at the woman and says, where are your accusers? And she says, they've gone. And Jesus, beautiful paradox, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Oh, my gosh. Talk about the, the gracious forgiveness of a humble. And then this, don't do that again. You know, oh, my gosh, this crazy. So it would not surprise anybody listening that he models these all along, confidence and humility and, and every one of these paradoxes. So he's the ultimate leader. Yes, he is. Well, you know, let's touch briefly on one more, and then we'll pause and, and uh, we'll jump into the, some more of these in our next podcast. But I'm looking down. Um, this is similar but different. Great leaders embrace visibility and invisibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go there. Well, this is a great one because I am in this paradox right now. Um, mm. Growing Leaders it turns 20 as an organization next year. And I'm realizing there's now a time for me to be invisible. Uh, so um, here's, here's the case study on this one. Um, I chose Dr. Martin Luther King. If you look at Dr. King from 1955 to 63, those eight, nine years, he was extremely visible. There was no doubt about it. This guy modeled the way. He didn't just speak the way. He did it. So he led the marches, led the protests, led the sit-ins, the boycotts. He got himself thrown into prison. He was in prison 29 times. Some of those were on purpose, just a model for the others. I'm willing to make a sacrifice. You willing to make a sacrifice? So that was brilliant. After he makes the great speech, I Have a Dream, in August of 1963, pivotal moment. Afterwards, he continued to model the way, but there were very frequent times when Dr. King didn't go to meetings that he would have gone to prior. And a young John Lewis would call him up and say, Dr. King, we need you here to make this happen. And he would go, you know what to say, John. You know what to do. Because he knew if he was in the room, everybody, John Lewis and everybody else, would defer to Dr. King. If he's there, we're not going to speak up. He's here. And there are times when leaders need to know, I won't have this next gen to step up if I keep showing up. Because my presence, I don't know the right word, the, the power gap can be so big between that anointed leader that you mentioned on the stage, dripping with charisma, you know? And I think even young leaders need to know, if I start something, there's going to be a time. My job is to get out of the way and be invisible, not because I'm running from hard work, but because I know Josh or Susan or Heather or whoever needs to step up and they may not do it if I'm there. Hmm. I like to think of it as we need to hand them the mic because yeah. we've been holding it so long. Let's hand them the mic. It's so true. In fact, Chris, I'm going to make a confession here. My generation has not done 
the passing of the microphone very well. When I look globally, Tracy, remember you and I, you know, we've both been overseas, maybe all three of us have been overseas. I'm seeing a baby boomer generation that was very big after World War II, globally, actually, just holding on to the power. And I don't think it's because, I, I don't think it's wicked or evil. I think we're afraid they may not pick it up. They may not do it as well as me. They may not understand. They may make some mistakes. And all of that is true. They probably will make mistakes. We made mistakes too. But somebody handed us a mic. And yes. I think it's time for us to realize handing on the, off the mic is not done when I'm ready to do it. It's when they're ready to take it. And even if I don't want to let go, I need to say, here, young man, this is yours. I'll be praying. I'll be... I'll be encouraging you. You let me know if you've got a question, but you can do this. And I think it's time we, we say that. Amen. Tim, that's so good. And thank you. We'll, we'll continue this conversation in our next podcast. And, and the, the dialogue with you is reminding us ways that each of us can make our next steps our best steps. Thanks for joining us on Next Step Leadership, the weekly conversation dedicated to your personal growth and leadership development. Chris and I are so glad you dropped in. You can find us on all your favorite podcast providers. Do us a favor and hit subscribe. And if you really want to help us, give us a rating. We so appreciate your support. Check out our show notes for more information regarding guest contact information. Chris Maxwell's 11th book, Equilibrium, 31 Ways to Stay Balanced on Life's Uneven Surfaces is available now at www.chrismaxwell.me or Amazon, where you can find all of Chris's previous books as well. Our featured music is by Casual Americans. You can find their new musical releases at www.casualamericans.com or at your favorite music suppliers. We release Next Steps Leadership each Thursday, so join us again next week on The Next Step Journey, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step.